Well, good morning once again, and I trust that you've been blessed by and encouraged by the musical worship this morning, and especially for all of you gathered at SDA, I hope that you just enjoyed being together once again. I know I long to get back in person, to be with you, to sing together, and to be together. And I mean, it's been such a long journey over the past few months, but perhaps by God's grace, perhaps this will be one of the last Sundays that we have to preach to you exclusively through a camera. So I just want to be honest with you and say I cannot wait to be back in person so that I can see you all, so that we can sing together, be together. Um, and part of the reason I'm, I'm so like this right now is because we've, we've had the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to, to go to Teen Challenge and do a chapel service for them. Actually, we've done that for the past two weeks, and I just can't begin to express how great it was to, to be playing guitar and having people sing. And I know for Matt and Adam that they just really, really enjoyed being um, able to preach back again in person. So I just wanted to take this quick moment and say that I miss you all, that I love you all, and hopefully sometime soon I'll be able to be back with you again and that we'll all be able to be back together sometime soon. But for now what we have is we have this technology. We have the camera, the live stream, and I'm so thankful and grateful for that and so thankful and, and grateful for the opportunity to preach today, to preach from First John, to continue on with the sermon series. And I'm excited to preach this particular text, but I'm going to warn you that this is a confronting text. It's, it's very confronting. It warns, us, it warns us of something that's just so important. And I think for many of you, and even for myself, that our problem with, with this text, it's not going to be hearing it or understanding it, but it's going to be doing it and applying it. And well, for that reason, I'm just so amazed. I'm so challenged and thankful for, for what Brother Matt preached last week. He preached from the book of James and told us that we must be doers as well as hearers of the word. And it's just quite remarkable how the Bible it works together so well and how God works through our preaching schedule. I mean, just so you know, we didn't sit down a couple months ago and, and say, okay, you know what, this passage will go well with that one, so Matt, you'll preach, and then David will preach. No, that's not, that's not what we do. We simply are just going through different books of the Bible, preaching at our own speed, and this is just how the passages happen to line up. And the fact that this text is here right after the sermon that, that Matt preached last week, I believe that that's no coincidence. Because again, this text is one that's easier for us to simply hear and not do. But we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Have you ever seen a, a TV show or a movie where there's a couple and they go through a rough patch because the husband is always working? The plot, is, it's pretty common. The, the husband, he's He's hardworking, he loves his job, and he wants to provide for his family. And he really does love his family, but he gets caught up at work time and time and time again. And he starts by being late for meals. And then he starts missing those meals altogether. And eventually he starts missing bigger things like anniversaries or ballet recitals or birthdays or soccer games. And overall, this just causes a lot of serious relationship problems between him and his family, the man, he's, he's caught divided. He's caught divided between the love of his job on the one side and then the, the love of his family on the other. And, and often in these movies or TV shows, he's got to make that decision, the decision of what is he going to love? It's, is he going to devote his life and, and love his family or his job? It, it can't be both. 
And in a lot of cases, when the man sees the value of his family, he, he'll end up picking the family because the family is so much more valuable than his job. And I know it's not a perfect example, but as Christians, I think we often go through something kind of like that. We find ourselves in a, a similar situation. We live in the world and we're tempted to love the things of the world and live our lives for the things of the world, but that's not right. Even though we live in the world, we, as Christians, we're no longer of the world. We are of the kingdom of God. We've been born again. We've become children of God, and we're meant to love and follow him. Have you ever felt that tension before of being in the world but not being of the world? Well, our passage today, it's going to address that, and it's going to warn us against loving the world. So let's read the passage one more time. Would you turn with your Bibles to me now to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So right away, the main point here, it's not something that's overly complicated, and we can see it right away from the start in verse 15. The main point, or the sermon in a sentence this morning is this, so write it down if you're taking notes. Don't love the world, but love the Father. Don't love the world, love the Father. But what does John mean by that? Don't love the world. To, to understand what he means, we first need to know what he means by love. So starting with love, the last time that I preached, we actually ended up talking a lot about love. And in the last passage's context, that love, it was between other believers. It was love amongst Christians or us as the church. We said that to love, it's to will the good of another. But unfortunately for us today, our passage, when it talks about love, it's something entirely different. This isn't overly strange because, well, the the context and the object of the love is different. And we do this all the time naturally when we talk. We, We change our usage of the word love based on the object and the um, context of love. For instance, I'll say something like, you know, I, I love coffee, or I, I love to play soccer, or I love my family, or I love my church family, or I love my wife, Leanne. And even though I say I love in each of these cases, I mean something totally different each time. When, when I say I love coffee, I mean I enjoy the taste. I, I like to drink it. I like how it gives me energy in the mornings. But when I say I love Leanne, I mean a much more deeper sense of, of love where I want to spend time with her, where I want to serve her and do what's best for her and cherish her. There's a lot of different meanings that love can have. And the kind of love that John is talking about here in our text, it's summed up well by one commentator when he says, here love refers to an attraction to something that one wishes to enjoy. And you might want to write that down, so I'll say it just one more time. Here, love refers to an attraction to something that one wishes to enjoy. It's an attraction to something. It's, 
It's something you want or you desire it so that you can enjoy it, so that you can delight in it. So when John says don't love the world, he means don't be attracted to the world. Don't seek to enjoy the things of the world. And he says this not because that kind of love is, is wrong, but because the world is not the proper object for that love. As we'll see, when John talks about the world and the things of the world, he's talking about what is in opposition to God. Just look at verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And here, that's the first reason that John gives us to why we shouldn't love the world. The first reason is, don't love the world because you cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. You cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. The second half of verse 15, it says, if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. We can't love them at the same time, well, because they're, they're opposite to each other. All that is world is in the world is not from the Father, and that's consistent with the contrasting images that John so loves to use. We've, we've seen light and darkness and love and hate. And again, going back to the message of chapter 1, verse 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And in John's thought, the world itself is in darkness. It's in opposition and rebellion to God. Darkness and light, they can't exist in the same space. So the world here, it doesn't mean God's good creation as it did in, in Genesis 1 and 2. The world here, it's, it's in sin, it's in darkness, and it lies in the power of the evil one, it's, and it's that framework. It's with that framework that John then moves and starts describing what is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And don't be mistaken that these are all from the world. They're not from God. So starting with the desires of the flesh, they are our sinful desires. The desires of the flesh are our sinful desires. Romans 3 and 5 tell us that through the first human, Adam, that sin entered the world, and, and since then all have sinned. And then Jesus in John's gospel in chapter 8 says that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the significance of that is that all human nature is tainted by sin. All of humanity is sinful. We're sinners. We're slaves to it. And without Jesus, we, we're hopelessly bound to it. And Pastor Steve, he always uses this example, and I'm, I'm sure it's true for all of you as parents, but also for us as children. I mean, have you ever had to teach your children how to be selfish? Did you ever have to be taught how to get angry? No, you, you never. Humans sin. We're, we're naturally, we're born as sinners and we naturally desire to sin. It's, it's not difficult for me to, to want to have power and belittle others. It's not difficult for me to be selfish and love myself and not love Leanne. It's not difficult for me to desire to sin because after all, these, the desires, they come from within me. But John is saying that these sinful desires, these desires of the flesh, that they are completely rebellious to God, that they're opposite to the desires of the Spirit. And this is also consistent with what Paul teaches in Galatians 5 when he says, and when he lists them and contrasts them, he says that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The desires of the flesh are from the world and not the Father, so you cannot love them both at the same time. So don't be attracted to and wish to enjoy the desires of the flesh. Don't love them and don't love the desires of the eyes. As John Stott points out, John moves, he moves from talking about a desire that comes from inside of us to a desire that's triggered from outside of us, for the, a desire for the things that we see. And as one commentator puts it, the desires of the eyes are those sinful cravings which are activated by what people see and lead to covetousness. The desires of the eyes are those sinful cravings which are activated by what people see and lead to covetousness. He's, John is talking about that, that feeling, that desire that we get when we see something that we want and we see it and we're attracted to it and then out of our sinful greed, we want it for ourselves so that we can enjoy it. And an example of this would again be with kids. If you have two children in a room and one of them looks across the room and sees that the other one is just playing with this miraculous blue truck that just looks really, 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 really fun to play with. A child, he's going to get up, unless he's told otherwise, go over, try and take the blue truck for himself, and then, and then play with it. And obviously, I mean, that's a, that's a lighter example, but it's that kind of greedy desire that's from the world. Don't be greedy. Don't enjoy being greedy and wanting the things of the world, because you cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. And this leads us to the last description in verse 16 of all that is in the world, the the pride of life. And the pride of life is simply, it's a sense of boasting or pride in in one's possessions. If you read the CSB, you'll notice that the translation here is actually a pride in one's possessions. That's how it's translated. And Calvary, I think we need to spend a little bit of time here. This is probably one of the easiest spots for us to just hear and listen and then shut down and not do, but as Matt preached last week, we have to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I say that because this is so countercultural for us here in Canada. And well, to be honest, I know that I need to apply. I know that I need to do and listen to these words very, very carefully. And see, the pride of life, the boasting and love of our possessions is it's from the world and not the Father, and we cannot love both at the same time. See, our culture, it's all about having the good life. It tells us that if, if you want to find fulfillment, if you want to find joy and happiness, then, then go work hard, go live your life to, to get what you want, to be what you want. Go get through high school, go, go make some friends. Go on a college, to university, and work hard. Get a degree, and then, and then a job that you enjoy. Go and make some money, but, you know, not, not that you need to be rich, but enough money so that you're comfortable. And find a husband or a wife, start a family, buy, buy that beautiful home with the, with the nice white picket fence, work for a while, save up some money, and then, you know, when you can afford it, maybe in your 40s or in your 50s, go out and reward that hard work. Reward yourself. Go out and buy um, the, the nicest new thing, a nice new car, a nice a nice boat or whatever toy it is that 
that you want, and then you can retire and, and live a comfortable life with ease doing, well, what, whatever it is you want because you've, you've lived your life. You're in your retired years now. Isn't that the dream? The American dream? Do we love that dream? Do we set our hearts and our minds to getting that dream? And when we get it, or, or at least part of it, do we live full of the pride of life, boasting in the possessions that we have? Because, John, because friends, John's telling us that that pride, that's not from the Father, but from the world. And that means that it's wrong. And to be clear, it's, it's not that having a nice house or a nice car is wrong. We, we can enjoy those things by God's grace, but when it becomes what we love, when it becomes what we long for, what we work towards, what we value and what we boast in, it's become what we worship. It's become an idol. And an idol, by definition, it's in opposition to God as it competes for our love and affection. And, you know, maybe for some of you, the, the pride of life that I've described as the American dream, it's, maybe that's not your pride of life. Maybe it's some other possession that you have pride in or love. Maybe for you it's your Instagram profile or your Facebook profile, that, that perfect image that you just want to project out to the world. Maybe it's your cell phone or your television or, or your PlayStation. And the list could go on and on and on as there are just so many different things that it are in our day-to-day lives that we can wrongfully love or idolize. And if you don't know what it is, then ask yourself this, what do you spend your time doing? See, this text, it's, it's hard for us to do and apply because the world is so subtle in the ways that it tries to pull us in. And if I can be personal for a minute, for me earlier in my life, it was soccer. Many of you know that I, that I love playing soccer today, but it, earlier, a few years ago, I I really did love it. I lived for it. I spent all of my time playing it or watching it or learning about it and practicing it. And, and it was a hard realization when I figured out that that, that that was an idol. But no matter what it is for you here today, no matter what it is, hear the warning. Don't love the things of the world. Don't be idolaters. Love the real God, for we cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. And the world, the world, it's, it's going to pass away. And this is the second reason that John tells us not to love the world. Don't love the world because the world's not going to last forever. Don't love the world because it's not going to last forever. Just look at verse 17. It says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. John tells us that everything in the world, and the world itself, it's going to pass away. He, he gives us an eternal perspective and reason for why we shouldn't love the world. It's, it's going to pass. And in the grand scope of eternity, the things of the world, your cell phone, your television, they, your stuff, they won't matter. And that means that if we love the world, that if we pursue the things of the world, then, then we're living a tragedy then we're living a tragedy. If, if, if we live for the American dream 
and live for the things of the world, for, for image, for power, for fame, for fortune, and work to have it all, then what good is it? Then what good is it if it's all just going to pass away? John Piper, at a passion conference in May 2000, he spoke to a group of college students, and he read out this article that was titled, Start Now, Retire Early. And it said something like this, Bob and Penny took an early retirement when he was 51 and she was 59. And now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, Piper says. He says that is, that is a tragedy because the world is passing away with its desires, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. They're passing away, and he drives the point home with this analogy. When he said, the American dream, a, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, and a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. And you say to him, here it is, Lord, look at my shells. Look at my shell collection. Look, I've got a good swing. I've, I've, I've got a nice boat. Look at it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Children, teenagers, young adults, parents, singles, don't waste your life loving the things of the world by pursuing the things of the world. Don't love what is in opposition to God. Fight your sinful desires. Don't have pride in your possessions. Don't give your life to the American dream. Don't give your life to, to your phone or your television or social media because the world, the things of the world, they're just going to pass. They're meaningless. They're worthless. I hope at this point that, that you're getting it, that we shouldn't love the world because we cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. And the world itself is passing away. And if I were to stop here, then I, I really wouldn't be doing justice to the text or to the first chapter and a half of First John because this passage, it's not isolated by itself. There's a truth and there's a promise here at the end of verse 17. It says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Not everything is going to pass away. We don't have to pass away with the world. What I love about the end of verse 17 is that John doesn't just simply call out the world and then stop. With an eternal perspective, John holds up the world and its value and shows that it's meaningless. And then he holds up the ways of the Father, the way of God, and shows its value and says that he who does the will of God, that person abides forever, that they will live for eternity And so, friends, that means that there's a way to make our life count. There's a way to make it mean something. We need to to live life doing the will of God. And don't misunderstand what John means by do the will of God here. He's not saying that we're going to have eternal life by living the, the righteous life, by following the rules of religion. That's not it. That's not the point he's making when he says, he who does the will of God. To read the passage like that, well, it would be to forget everything he's already said 
earlier in the letter. See, to do the will of God, it's to walk in the light with God. Or in other words, to do the will of God is to live in loving relationship with God and then with one another. To do the will of God is to be in loving relationship with him and other believers. And that's been a major theme throughout all of 1 John. The theme of what it means to be in the light with God or to be in relationship with him. And and what it means then for how we interact with other believers. He so far I've told you why you shouldn't love the world and its ways. But now, now let me tell you why you should love the Father and why you should follow him. Let me remind you of his ways, of what it's like to walk in the light with him. And as we see what it looks like to do the will of the Father, to walk in the light, the right response for us is to love God and to follow his commands. And remember that what we mean by love here, it's referring to an attraction to something so that we can enjoy it. So don't love the world, but love the Father. So the first truth I want to remind you of is this, that we can love God and be in relationship with him because, well, he loved us first. Jesus came into the world to die so that we could have life in the light. We were, we were in the world and we were of the world. We were in darkness. We were in sin. And because of our darkness, we could not be right with God. Just look at 1 John 1, 5 for the message is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's There's absolutely nothing that we could have done or can do to overcome our sins by ourselves and leave the darkness. But that's why Jesus came, to live the perfect life, then to die for us on behalf of us, accepting the punishment that we deserved, the punishment, the wrath of God that we deserved for our sin, that Jesus took that for us in our place. And that's why John told us in chapter 2, 1 and 2, that Jesus is our righteous advocate who is a propitiation for our sins. And guys, don't miss that that sacrifice that it is an act of love. He loved us even as his enemies enough to die for us. Paul says this in Romans 5 when he says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. God's love, it's, it's greater than any other love. And because of how we love this, because of Jesus coming death, and resurrection, we can have life. We can have life by believing in his name, by confessing our sin, by by turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus, by trusting, by believing in him. We can enter into that right relationship with God in the light. Love God because he loved you first. Because of his love, we can know him. And knowing him, living life in the light with him, friends, it is so, so much better than living in the dark without him. And we've seen this in 1 John. We've seen it as he's been showing us what life in the light really looks like. See, life in the light, it's safe. From 1 John 1, 9 and and 2, 1, we see that we can confess our sins to God and that he is faithful and just to forgive us because Jesus is our advocate. Jesus speaks. He, He speaks on our behalf. He speaks for us. He pleads his righteousness for us because of how he loved us on that cross by paying that penalty for our sin in our place. And that means that it's safe for me and you to go to God with our faults. It's safe for for me and you to go to God with our garbage. It's safe for us to go to him with our sin. And friends, that includes when we place our love in the wrong 
in the wrong place. If you feel convicted this morning, if you're realizing right now that you've been or you are loving the world, then turn to the Father. Confess your sin to him. Understand that he loves you, that he forgives you, and and would you turn and respond by loving him more? That's how we stop loving the world, guys. That's how we stop it. We stop loving the world by loving the Father. Because of how God loved you, it's safe for you to run to him. And life in the light, it also means being in loving community with one another. John tells us earlier in chapter 2 that, that those who really love God, that, that know his love for them, that they will then love one another. And that love as, as Christians, it's a selfless love because our example of love is, well, it's Jesus. And friends, don't forget to read books of the Bible and passages of the Bible not in isolation. Don't forget the wonderful promises and truths that are just two verses previous to our passage today. Just before John warns his readers not to love the world, he assures them of who they are in Jesus and what they have in the light. So let me read those verses out to you now because they're true for you. 1 John 2, 12 to 14, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, because the word of God abides in you, and because you have overcome the evil in Calvary. That is true for you. That's true for us. For all of us who believe in Christ Jesus, our sins, they've been forgiven. We can have a deep relationship with God. We can know him as our father. And we've overcome the evil one through the power of Jesus. Let that sink into your souls. And friends, these, as if these promises were not enough, that there's more. In the light, we will remain forever. But whoever does the will of God or whoever walks in the light with God abides forever. For all of eternity, we are going to get to enjoy knowing and loving God. For he's the only one truly worthy of our worship and praise. God is light. His love is perfect. His power, it's, it's unimaginable. His ways are just. His instruction is sweet. He's faithful. He never changes. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. See, John's warning to not love the world isn't John trying to take the enjoyment out of living. He's not saying don't love the world and go live a boring, bland, and joyless life. No. His point is that the apparent joy attraction and pleasure of the world and and all that it offers that is nothing it's nothing it's meaningless in comparison to the joy to the love to the peace and all that you get that you have with God so Calvary let's be honest with ourselves 
Let's check ourselves. What do we love? Maybe, what are we living our life for? Is it the world? Or is it the Father? Don't simply hear the word today. Go eat lunch and forget about it. Go and be doers of the word. Go and love God. Go worship him. Go desire him. Delight in him. Spend time with him. As Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because the truth is, is that when you hold up the world and and the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, when you hold up these things with an eternal perspective that they will pass away. When you compare them to the to the all-surpassing worth of God and following him, the ways of the world, they are absolutely, no mistake, worthless and meaningless. And so how do we fight these desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life? How do we turn from, from loving the world to loving the Father? You have a relationship with the Father. Go spend time with him. Pray to him, read your Bible, get perspective, learn how great God really is because he's so infinitely more valuable. He's so infinitely more desirable than anything that the world can offer. So now as we close, let me, let me close with a very fitting quote by David Platt. He said that you and I have an average of about 70 or 80 years on this earth. And during these years, we are bombarded with the temporary. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well, have fun. In the middle of it all, we get blinded to the eternal, but it is there. You and I stand on the porch of eternity. Both of us will soon stand before God to give an account for our stewardship of the time, the resources, the gifts, and ultimately the gospel that he has entrusted to us. When that day comes, I'm convinced we will not wish that we had given more of ourselves to living the American dream. We will not wish that we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of the world. Instead, instead we will wish that we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of our Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. So brothers and sisters, give your life to following Christ. Love the Father. Do the will of the Father. Live in loving relationship with God and community with each other. Enjoy the good things of life, but only with the right perspective and enjoy them only at their real value. Live in the world, but don't be of the world. Don't love the world. Love the Father. Let's pray. 
Father, it's truly just so humbling to be here now and, and to preach and to look at your word, Lord, and to sing your praises. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts today, Lord, that we would really be doers of the word and not hearers only. But Lord, that we would love you, that we would worship you, that we would delight in you. And Lord, help us to know that we can always come to you with whatever sin or, or garbage that we have. Lord, if we are loving the world, convict us of that. Lord, encourage us by the love that you have for us, for what it means to, uh, for us to be in the light with you. Lord, go with us now, and I just pray that you would be with us now for this week and for these months, and, and would you change us, would you transform our hearts to not love the world, but to love the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.